What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 177 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap our results from week nine in the NFL on DraftKings, reflect on some of the key decision points from the slate, and of course, close out the show by taking a look at some of the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can also find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. Finally, our Discord channel is open, available, and free to join. The link to do so is in the description to the podcast. Joey, you picked a hell of a week to take off from watching football. Um, <laughs> brutal slate of games. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. I wasn't able to watch, so you got to uh, fill me in as we go on how bad these games were and what the hell happened in the slate. Because, you know, I was just watching the Patriots bust the Panthers. Sam Darnold is horrible, but wasn't able to watch any of these other games. And seems like it was a pretty bad week of football and a pretty bad week of DraftKings. Horrible. Absolutely horrible week. And we can just dive right into how things went. I know that you weren't really in the cash game streets, but for your information, the cash line in double ups was sitting around 123. My lineup finished with 113, which was good for about a 43.7% win rate. Not good enough to profit. Decent amount of salvage. But it's just not what you like to see, especially because I feel like the lineups I lost to were highly fishy. I'm, I'm not even going to lie. Like I, I usually just am good with taking the accountability, but I feel like I, I lost to some pretty suboptimal lineups this week. Uh, what did those lineups do that was fishy in your opinion? In my opinion, playing Nick Chubb over Austin Eckler for a marginal $1,200 discount was highly fishy. And I know that some sharp players were all about it, but Nick Chubb, had fewer touches. Nick Chubb's realistic target expectation on a week-to-week basis is zero. And Austin Eckler was in a complete smash spot, even though he did get injured during the game and missed some snaps. He still came in, had a good workload, 17 attempts, three targets, and he just ran absolutely poorly. Nick Chubb, on the other hand, busts off a 70-yard touchdown, gets a close-range touchdown, puts up 30 DraftKings points, (laughs) and essentially breaks the slate. Really, the 2v2 that the Chubb lineups had was you know, Nick Chubb and a 5k wide receiver, most likely either Landry or Kadarius Tony versus the lineup I ran, which had Austin Eckler. And I, I chose to run Bateman. Some people ran Rondale Moore in that spot. But when the Sammy Watkins news came out that he was going to be ruled out and that sort of any of the concerns we had around Bateman were alleviated. And he went from being like a play that was hard to stomach versus a play that I thought was actually pretty good at 4k flat. The lineup just really became solidified. And, and the fact that I lost to these Nick Chubb lineups, it, it's it's truly tilting. Like, Nick Chubb tilts me at least once a year in an unbelievable fashion. Last year was when he busted off a, a large run and I had him in all my tournament teams and then he stepped out at the one. That was the most tilting Nick Chubb experience I've ever had. And this is a close second. Yeah, I mean, I think Eckler was a better play, obviously, you know, better target expectation. But like you said, he was $1,200 or $1,100 more, whatever he was. And it was still a good spot for... Nick Chubb he was projecting pretty well and I guess that's really the conversation especially if you were looking at projections this weekend is the 2v2 of Nick Chubb and a 5k wide receiver you know pick whichever one was projecting several points better than the Eckler Bateman side right so if you were solely looking at projections and building your cash lineup off of you know whatever projections you use 
he probably would have ended up on the Chubb side. And, and I guess that's kind of like a function of, you know, we do this podcast and obviously your process is pretty good and you trust yourself or whatever. And I and I like the lineup and I ran it in a head-to-head uh, this week, even though I didn't play in double-ups and I won it. So it was a good lineup. You did give up some projected points, but the process behind it was still good. I just think Chubb was a better play than you do apparently that's that's nick chubb that's how he gets his points right that that's kind of the thesis of the play it's a good spot and he has the potential to break a 70 yard touchdown at any given moment because that's just the type of running back he is and it's essentially playing like last year's derrick henry at 6800 hang on let me stop you right there because i heard i saw some people justifying the play saying that it's like oh it's essentially the derrick henry play it's not the derrick henry play how many times has nick chubb run for 200 yards in, in a career game. Maybe never. I don't know off the top of my head. Derrick Henry does it two or three times a year. The ceiling is much higher on Derrick Henry and the frequency at which he hits the ceiling is much higher. I, I don't I don't like that comparison at all. Derrick Henry is not seeding 35% of snaps to Kareem Hunt. He's been seeding 30% of snaps to Dearness Johnson in each of the last two weeks. He's got more games with fewer than 20 touches on the ground than games with 20 plus. So to me, it, it's really not quite comparable. Like I get that there are similar like archetypes where it's like they're the guys who are explosive on the ground they're great runners but they're not getting a great receiving role but I don't think that uh, we can really equate Nick Chubb to Derrick Henry from a fantasy perspective I don't think it's a equal comparison and yeah I, I was not a fan of that justification either as I was scrolling through Twitter this morning yeah I mean that's fair I think it's more so just the type of running back Henry was is kind of what Nick Chubb is now but you are right he wasn't seeding a lot of work to a backup running back and even in this spot like yeah Dearness Johnson would have played 30 percent of snaps right or he did play 30 percent of snaps and he's probably just not good in my opinion so I don't know how much projection you know you could have taken off of Nick Chubb in favor of Dearness Johnson but all in all at 6700 I still think Nick Chubb was a pretty good play especially with the lack of running back options that we had this week or viable options I should say and he fit the build right that's all that it really came down to is it fit the build and it was I think more comfortable to play Chubb in a 5k receiver over Eckler and Bateman or Rondale Moore with all the value that we had at the bottom of the receiver pool you know in in the 5k range right so I think it was safer I think that 2v2 had a better projection you know you kind of got me off of it but I didn't play cash so yeah man I don't don't know this is this is a tough conversation because Nick Chubb I mean we're just so used to him not being in play ever but I feel like he was a pretty good play this week yeah besides that 2v2 there weren't really many hardcore decisions on this slate you know I think that a lot of the lineup built itself Lamar Jackson was just a clear-cut smash and he realized that value putting up over 35 points Albert O got there as well at 2600 easiest play of the slate you know T Higgins was a stone cold lock Zeke Elliott was a stone cold lock although the game script really sort of eliminated him and we'll talk about that shortly Chiefs D got there as well and it really was just that 2v2 I guess the only other decision point which personally 
I never considered, and I had no idea that a large part of the field had this in consideration, but Marquise Brown came in at almost 25% owned in double-ups, which was really shocking to me. I thought that he was going to be like a really sneaky GPP play, not stone-cold chalk, and you know, he, he, he ended up paying off. Um, it was a little bit tilting not having him because so much of his production came in the fourth quarter, and he got a couple extra catches in overtime to get him the bonus. He finished with nine receptions for 116 yards, and and, you know, when Amari Cooper only puts up 5.7 and, you know, Amari Cooper to me was a standout play this week as well at his price tag, you know, Hollywood dropping 23.6 points when they're priced $300 apart is enough to absolutely just swing the entire week for you. So I guess I just want to reflect on it and wonder like, you know, neither of us really mentioned Marquise Brown as a cash game play. I think we both recognized him as a decent contrarian play, but I don't know. Why Why do you think that we sort of missed him as a cash game play when so much of the field was on it? I just think it's because the wide receivers below him were projecting better, but he definitely should have been in consideration, especially with the correlation with Lamar Wright. And We've talked about it on the pod, but he's been one of the best fantasy receivers this season. He's put up multiple wide receiver one weeks in terms of redraft, and he's very consistent. You know, in hindsight, it looks bad that we didn't really talk about him or consider him much, but it was a good price. He was the most expensive of of that bunch which I guess is why we didn't really talk about him. And he didn't really fit the the build, the lineup construction. I think that is also a reason, but he was still a great play and yeah, I guess that was definitely an oversight on on our end, and I, I think it was an oversight in the industry as well, just in, in terms of, you know, tout sites and whatnot. For sure. His ownership projection was sub 10% in a lot of spots, and he came in over 20 in a lot of the tournaments I was in, which was- 28% in the Millie Maker. Yeah, yeah, that was- That's ridiculous. Tr- truly unfortunate. Truly, truly unfortunate. I think we can move on here to interesting stats and storylines- There was some interesting stuff going on in this Bills and Jacksonville game, particularly a little bit of Josh Allen on Josh Allen crime. Okay, that's what we saw this Sunday. Of course, the media is going to have a ton of fun talking about this. Jacksonville Jaguars defensive end Josh Allen became the first player in NFL history to sack a quarterback with the same name, and he didn't stop there, okay? He also picked off the pride of Buffalo Josh Allen. He also forced a fumble, which he managed to recover. It's the ultimate trifecta for a defensive player. Two guys with the same name, two guys who were number seven overall picks in the draft, and that's crazy, you know? like that. It's just like a fun, weird story, but you know what I want to know is what the hell happened happened to our Josh Allen, you know, the the best fantasy quarterback in the league, Josh Allen. You know, how do you get smoked by an absolute dog shit team like the Jaguars? And, you know, how worried are you about the Bills' ability to bounce back from this incredible letdown? I mean, this was something that I never saw happening this week. Yeah, I mean, this was just the week of upsets. And the Bills went to Jacksonville. They played very poorly. From what I heard, they had a bunch of injuries. That's what some Bills fans were saying. So I don't really know how they lost because it's still the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, right. Jesus. But obviously, Josh Allen will bounce back, like you said, like the best fantasy quarterback this season. Him and Lamar will probably be top two by the end of the year. And I have no worries about the Bills offense. have no worries about Josh Allen. I still think the Bills are a Super Bowl contender, but I will say the AFC is pretty wide open. I think it's pretty obvious that the Bills are beatable. The Titans are beatable, although, you know, they're coming off of a very good win against the Rams. The Chiefs are beatable. The Chargers are beatable. It's definitely going to be an interesting end to the season for the AFC. And 
I don't know. I still would have the the Bills as front runners, but it's close. And, you know, just in terms of fantasy, like I said, Josh Allen, complete stud. He'll be fine. All right. I was kind of hoping that we would be like, oh, man, I don't know. So we could put up a cool clickbait title on YouTube. Like, is this the end of Josh Allen? But I guess we're not there yet. You're not even getting good odds on the Bills to, to win the Super Bowl right now either. The Bills are the favorite to win the Super Bowl as of November 8th. Mm. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I would consider them the favorite to win the AFC still, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I think that there are a couple NFC teams I would trust a little bit more right now. Last thing I'll say is I know that you said you weren't worried about, you know, the Bills bouncing back. Were you worried about the safety of, you know, all the college girls in Jacksonville as Urban Meyer probably went out on the prowl to celebrate last night? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh my god. You don't have to answer that. I don't I don't have a response <laughs> for that. That's funny. <laughs> okay. Josh Allen and the Bills weren't the only quarterback slash offense who fell short of expectation on Sunday in a big way. Dallas, Dak Prescott, the Cowboys went the first three quarters of play against Denver without putting up a single point. They ended up finishing the day with 16 fourth quarter points, courtesy of two garbage time touchdowns to Malik Turner. Of course, you know, no garbage time touchdowns to Amari Cooper or Zeke or CeeDee. No, it was Malik Turner, you know, the stud that we all thought would be the key to the Cowboys offense. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you regarding Buffalo. I mean, are you concerned at all about the stickiness of this? Is this a flash in the pan or a legitimate cause for concern about the functionality of the Cowboys offense going forward? Nah, there, there's no concern. Like I said, it's just a wacky week of football. One of these weeks happens every single season, right? Football is a high-variance sport. One game, anything can happen. If you replay this specific Broncos-Cowboys game 100 times, Cowboys are probably winning 90 out of 100. So not concerned with the Cowboys, still one of the best teams and offenses in the NFL. Just had a bad day, and the Broncos had their number in the spot, and I didn't get to watch any part of this game, but it seems like it was a very tilting game from a real life and a fantasy perspective. Yeah, no, it definitely was. It definitely was. Unless you were, you know, rostering Tim Patrick like a stone cold alpha, but I don't think there were too many people doing that this week. (laughs) Yeah, definitely wasn't me for sure. Do you have any thoughts on Jordan Love's NFL debut? Well, we're talking about quarterbacks here. His stat line was not great. You know, he went 24 for uh, out of 41 for a 58.5% completion percentage. I mean, could be worse for a young quarterback making their first start. He put up 258 yards and a touchdown, also had a pick, also rushed the ball eight times for 20 yards, targeted Devontae Adams a ton, 41.2% target share. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. It seemed like it was a mixed game for Jordan Love. If you told me before the slate started that he was going to have 41 pass attempts and eight rush attempts, I probably would have rostered him in cash. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't bad. He scored 13 fantasy points had more than Patrick Mahomes yesterday. So I guess that was a plus. But from a real life perspective, I I watched part of the game in the car. And then I ended up watching some of the highlights. And you know, he wasn't great. Probably not the answer long term for the Packers. But one game hard to really judge. I don't know. I've seen a lot of people say that, like, he's just bad, you know, and he was pretty bad in college as well. So I don't really know about his future. And if he is you know, the Packers franchise quarterback after um, Aaron Rodgers leaves, 
in the offseason. He wasn't bad and, you know, he wasn't great. I didn't really watch much, so I don't have a, a real definitive opinion on him. But just from the other side of the ball, I mean, goddamn, Kansas City is brutal. Yeah. How do you only score 13 points? These Chiefs players just aren't scoring fantasy points right now it's just not happening I don't know what's going on with their offense and you know they say the the definition of insanity is you know doing the same thing over again expecting a different result well I play chief stacks every single week expecting (laughs) a different result and I get fucking torched so yeah I mean this offense is clearly broken Tyreek Hill has 29 targets over the last two weeks for 133 yards that's unbelievable (laughs) Like, really think about that. 29 targets for arguably the most explosive player in the NFL, and he puts up 133 yards from Patrick Mahomes. What the actual fuck are we seeing here? I have no idea. (laughs) Makes no sense. And then you have, you know, like the age model hitting Kelsey a little bit this season. It's tough sledding out here for the Chiefs, but... I guarantee you I will continue to uh, play Chief Stacks every single week. And you just got to put more and more money on them, and then eventually you'll hit and be able to break even on the, on the year with the Chief Stacks. <laughs> yep, that, that's definitely the plan for sure. All right, I've got a pair of tilting running back stories here. The first comes from New Orleans, and... You know, first of all, like I want to cut them a little bit of slack in in a certain way where, you know, it's like I know that they lost their starting quarterback in Jameis last week, and that's unfortunate. But to lose to the Falcons at home, to let this lifeless Atlanta offense drop 27 points right on your head, that's embarrassing. And, you know, I, I can't lie. Like when you do things like trade for the 31-year-old corpse of Mark Ingram, and two weeks later, he's catching more balls out of the backfield than Alvin Kamara. Like, (laughs) frankly, at that point, you just deserve to lose. You know, so between shit like that and, like, paying Taysom Hill $140 million to be the third-string quarterback and play behind Trevor Simeon, play behind Jameis Winston, I really have to wonder if it's time for Sean Payton to just hang it up, you know, find a new career path. Because this doesn't seem to be working for him anymore. (laughs) Jeez. I mean, tough loss for the Saints, but telling Sean Payton to just retire after after a two-point loss? I mean, it's not that. It's the decision-making. Like, why are you trading for Mark Ingram and then forcing him receptions out of the backfield to which he's doing nothing with? I can guarantee you that Sean Payton was the driving force between p- paying Taysom Hill $140 million. You know hey, he was, was up a- in the Saints GM office begging, crying not to let this man leave the town. He can't let his son go. So they gave him a huge fat contract to be the third-string quarterback. One of the worst contracts <laughs> in recent memory. Yeah, but it, it was it was a, a fake contract though. I don't know. I if mean, you're, is it gonna be a fake? Forgetting that, is it gonna be a fake contract if he stays with the team throughout? I it's don't a, think it, it was essentially only a two year deal, right? And if he plays the full two years, doesn't he? Or if he if he stays beyond the two years, which I don't see why they would let him go, then they're still gonna, gonna have to start paying some of that off. No, he would have to sign a new deal because those years are voided. It's not really a four year, hundred forty million dollar deal. It was like a two year, what like. 22 million dollar deal whatever is still overpaid but either way it doesn't excuse the poor utilization of their skill players yeah but this has been you know sean payton's offense for years now especially with alvin Kamara there like there is going to be another running back that spells him you know albeit it shouldn't be dusty mark ingram it's going to happen they want to keep Kamara fresh the saints are probably still a playoff team they have a tough defense, and I th- and I think Taysom Hill will be the starter moving forward. 
They just kind of wanted him to clear concussion protocol, get past this week. They thought they probably could have got a win with Trevor Simeon and then just have Taysom come in next week, you know, more healthy, more prepared, ready to go. Obviously, that didn't happen. I took the Saints minus six on last podcast, but I did mention that, you know, it could have been kind of a letdown spot after Mm -hmm. the emotional win and Yesterday was the week of upsets, and the Falcons got the dub against the Saints, so they played well. I mean, the Saints did come back, and they were up in the fourth, and the Falcons had to kick game winner just in terms of fantasy. I mean, it's a tough scene for Camara, but he's still going to get his. I'm, I'm not too worried about Camara. Not not too worried about Camara myself. The other story at running back that I thought was pretty tilting didn't really affect me in a major way, but I did see some other people talking about it on social media, and I could feel the tilt through the screen because I know what this is like. On DraftKings, you know, you get the three-point bonus when you go over 100 yards rushing or receiving. Devontae Booker was at that point at the very end of the game. He rushed 20 times and was over the 100-yard bonus on his 20th carry. Last play for Devontae Booker, he gets his 21st rushing attempt, loses a few carries, gets injured, and loses the bonus. You know, that is absolutely the most brutal runout you can find on DraftKings. You know, when you get that extra three points, you lose it, the player gets injured, and you're just sitting there. You know, tears running down your face. You know, cash... (laughs) flying out of your DraftKings balance. It's it's <laughs> truly, truly awful. I, I'm sorry for the people that had a lot of Devontae Booker yesterday. Yeah, Devontae Booker was one of my favorite GPP running backs for week nine. Uh, so just a brutal run out. And he actually scored the bonus twice. So he went over, I think, 101 lost it, went back up over to 104, five-yard loss, got hurt on the five-yard loss. Wow. Don't think he played another snap. That's that's the worst kind of tug-of-war. Like, I would rather play the Squid Games version of tug-of-war than see that type <laughs> of tug-of-war. <laughs> yeah, just, just a brutal... Brutal run out for Devontae Booker. Um, I felt like he was a pretty good play, though. Like, he was in cash game consideration for me. I did prefer the wide receivers at the same price point. But with Saquon's workload at home, it was a good spot for Devontae Booker revenge game as well i just felt like if you were paying down the running back i I feel like he was a little bit better than gaskin although gaskin outscored him and he still had a a relatively good game he had 15.2 DraftKings points but definitely could have been better had he kept the bonus and not get hurt for sure so kind of ran bad with that in injury news at the running back position chase edmonds Handled one carry for Arizona yesterday, exited the game with an ankle injury, severity unknown at this point, but I think he is expected to miss a little bit of time, which of course opens up the door for something beautiful. You know, the emergence of a stone cold alpha, a soon to be workhorse, a cancer survivor, a man with unmatched heart, okay? A man who Joey has shown very little respect for over the years, and that's James Conner. You're telling me there's no Chase Edmonds in this backfield for a few weeks? That's a dangerous position for James Conner haters, because all this dude does is score touchdowns. Went 21 for 96 and two scores yesterday on the ground, added five catches for 77 and one receiving. You know, nothing crazy, just a little 40 bomb out of James Conner on a nice Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's definitely going to make me eat my words for sure especially with chase Edmonds out breaking news I, i'm just looking at my phone right now Edmonds has a high ankle sprain is going is going to miss multiple weeks confirmed so yeah so you're gonna get james connor as 
really the only running back in Arizona right now. I mean, they have Eno Benjamin. He should work in some, but he's going to be the workhorse in one of the best offenses in the NFL, has the goal line role. Kyler's hurt as well and hasn't been running as much this season, especially near the goal line. You know, I I mean, moving forward, James Conner is definitely a a great fantasy running back to have. He's going to break his career high in rushing touchdowns. And I I don't know if... Do I have to take my L? Like, do you, is that what you want me to do is is take my L on, on James Conner? I mean, I don't know if I want you to do it. I guess, I mean, if you feel like you should, maybe, maybe. I mean. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing it. <laughs> not doing it. All right. Uh, I'm not I'm not doing it. I mean, if the man dropping 40.3 on DraftKings isn't enough to do it, I, I think you probably never will. Outlier. He's never having another 40-point game like for the rest of his career. Mark my words. Mm. He's going to be the first running back in NFL history to run for like 600 yards and score 20 touchdowns. Yeah, he's like, you know, <laughs> a LeGarrette Blunt type. And that can get you there in fantasy. I did want to ask you, you know, we talked about how you went to Charlotte to see this Patriots and Panthers game. I think it, you know, was a relatively uninteresting game from like our, you know, the people here, you know, back at home watching Red Zone, like it didn't really come across too much. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you were happy to see the Patriots win in person, but I do have to ask you, you know, boots on the ground, take ear to the streets. How did Christian McCaffrey look in person? You know, he played 49% of snaps had 14 attempts for 52 yards, added another 54 yards uh, as a receiver, four catches on five targets. What are your impressions on Christian McCaffrey coming back after a lengthy absence? He looks like CMC. Mm. He was obviously the, the best Panthers player on offense yesterday, even in a limited workload. He still had 18 touches. The Panthers offense works the best when it is going through Christian McCaffrey. Sam Darnold is so bad, and I would like to think I was still right about Sam Darnold. I had a good start to the season, and now he's just brutal. Like It's tough to watch Sam Darnold play quarterback in the NFL. Is that why they were splitting him out wide to catch a pass from (laughs) P.J. Walker? (laughs) Yeah, uh, Jesus. Sam Darnold is so bad, but yeah, CMC looked good. He wasn't limping. You know, he went through his whole practice routine. He took the first team reps in the Panthers warmups, and I I don't know. I I thought he looked really good. The catches, I feel like they could have been doing that the whole game. He had four for 54 on five targets. It was like a little wheel route where he had the option to either cut it inside or outside, and they could have ran that the entire game, and the Patriots linebackers wouldn't have been able to cover him just because, you know, he looked pretty snappy coming out of his breaks and god this man is so elite and next week is you know full go cmc he's like 8400 on the main slate yeah absolute stone lock next week but yeah he looked really good uh no signs of his injury hampering him all right you heard it here first joey was sitting there you know he had the binoculars watching this man's cuts in person so i'm gonna take that and and i'm gonna utilize that as i jam him in to 100 of my lineups at 8400 next week final story here brandon Ayuk. Do you think he's back? Like, do we trust this? Because even though he fumbled earlier in the game, and, you know, I was reading Twitter, everybody's like, oh, you know, Ayuk is done. He's never going to be out of the doghouse again, yada, yada, yada. But that fumble happened early in the game, and Shanahan kept him out there. Ayuk had a season-high eight targets, a season-high six catches, a season-high 89 yards, secured his second touchdown of the year. Can we finally expect to see some level of consistency out of the second-year pass catcher, Brandon Ayuk? Honestly, 
I think so. Had a tough start to the season, tough first half of the year, but over the last two weeks, you know, snap share has increased. And I think there was a report uh, recently within the last couple of days where it's like he said that he like finally realized what they were talking about, like, you know, earlier in the season when Kyle Shanahan said like he wasn't like practicing hard enough or whatever that that report was earlier in the season. And he said he finally realized that week eight, we saw kind of the tables turn week nine obviously his best week of the season and he has a good schedule coming up I mean the the Niners skill players in general have a nut run out in terms of fantasy football schedule over the last you know two months of the NFL season you know they have a tough game coming up next week against the Rams but after that let me read you their schedule Jags Vikings Seahawks Bengals Falcons Titans Texans it might be wheels up it might be wheels up for the Niners offense, especially because their defense is horrible. So these teams that they're playing can definitely put up points on the Niners and keep the game close and competitive to where they just don't go super run heavy. Mm. So I guess the question is, I mean, would you go out? Do you feel convinced enough that he's going to be a consistent part of the offense that you would go out and try and acquire him? in a spot where you don't have him because I mean it sounds good the schedule sounds good if he's going to be utilized I think it's a good spot and I I think that while it was like encouraging it was a good game from him I don't think it was like such an amazing game where you know Brandon Ayuk owners who have been disappointed all season are going to be like holding on to him in a crazy way like I think that they would be willing to move him for a decent price yeah you could probably get him for the low low yeah so that is definitely interesting to try and go out and acquire Ayuk uh, if you can get them for pennies on the dollar, for sure. I, d- I definitely like that. All right. You know, other than that, I'll be honest, like there's not too much looking into yesterday's numbers that I feel we really need to talk about. Like it was a good day for tight ends. Mark Andrews had 10 targets. Darren Waller had 11 targets. George Kittle went for 100 yards and a touchdown in his first game back since week four. And we'll touch on some of that stuff in the shows coming up. But to be honest, man, I'm just ready to move on from this absolutely (laughs) horrible week of football and pray that next week is just a little bit less excruciating. Yeah, this week was brutal. I'm glad that this was the week that I picked to go and watch the Patriots play in person. Didn't have to sit at home on my computer watching Red Zone tilting my face off about a terrible DraftKings weekend. It's been a tough season, you know, kind of a back and forth season. You win one week, you lose the next week. Been losing in GPPs recently. I'm pretty sure that I'm like negative on the season just in terms of, you know, ROI. Positive in cash, GPPs are are just killing me. So got to turn that around in this last half of the fantasy football season got to get back on track got to improve the process and you know got got to sell to the money agreed and we'll be back at full strength this week you know i know we've been doing things a little different you know i was in mexico last week you were in charlotte this week but we're, we're going to be back to full strength full focus this week and i'm looking forward to it and that is going to be it for episode 177 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. We'll be back on Thursday with our first look at the week 10 NFL DFS slate. For more content, you can check out our YouTube channel, the DFS Dose. We post multiple videos per week. Typically, we also live stream on Saturdays. And finally, you can connect with us for free in our Discord channel. The link to do so is in the show notes to the podcast. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.